following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, IBC. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you this morning. So glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, we're glad you're with us. We are in the third week of our Advent series that we're calling All Things New. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And in this season, we remember the many centuries that the people of God waited for the coming of the Messiah through the birth of Jesus Christ. We remember Jesus' first coming and we anticipate, we look forward to his second coming. And in this season, we assume a posture of waiting as we recognize that things are not as they should be. And during this holiday season, we feel that reality in an even more profound way, perhaps than any other time of year. We see it in the world around us. We experience it in our own lives. Things are not as they should be. And yet... As followers of Jesus, we have a hope, a peace, a joy, and a love that will carry us through even the most difficult circumstances of life. And we are called to share this hope, this peace, this joy and love with the world around us that so desperately needs it. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about joy. Because Advent points us to this unstoppable, never-ending, everlasting joy. It's a joy that the world cannot offer us. It's a joy that cannot be taken from us. It's a joy found only in Jesus. Theologian and pastor, Dr. Angela Gorell, is someone who has spent extensive time studying joy. Angela is the assistant professor of practical theology at Baylor's Truett Theological Seminary. But in 2016, Angela was hired at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture to work on the Theology of Joy and the Good Life Project. And less than a year after she was hired to study joy, three of her family members unexpectedly died, all within four weeks. First, her cousin's husband died by suicide. And then a month later, her father passed away after a long struggle with opioid addiction. And then in between those two funerals, her 22-year-old nephew died from a massive cardiac arrest. The theoretical joy that Angela spent all her time researching and studying felt superficial and remote, completely inaccessible to her as she stumbled through the fog of grief and sorrow that she found herself in. In her book, The Gravity of Joy, she writes this. Study joy, unthinkable, laughable even, so disturbing a prospect that I almost vowed to be anything but joyful. I had read everything I could get my hands on about joy for the first months after arriving at Yale. Now the word made me cringe. What a lie. Life was not joyful. It was a long walk toward death. Merry Christmas, aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Stay with me, there's good news coming. 
But before we get to the good news, we have to be honest with ourselves. Many of us, if not all of us, can relate to Angela, at least at some point in our lives. I know I can. As I prepared for this message, I found myself in a place of deep grief and sadness. As I watched my own mother navigate health issues. My mom is a faithful follower of Jesus, one of my heroes, the strongest, most resilient person I know. And she's had some health issues recently. It's not looking good for her. And it's really hard for me because I so badly want to make things better for her, but I can't change what's happening to her body. I can't make her better. And so I'm faced with the harsh reality that very likely things will only get worse. And that's hard for me. And I find myself in the midst of grief and pain. Maybe for you, it's a broken or strained relationship. Or maybe coming out of the pandemic, you thought, this is it. This is the year where things will turn around for me. And you find yourself picking up the pieces of shattered or unrealized hopes and dreams. Perhaps you are battling a chronic illness that just leaves you feeling debilitated. Or you're watching someone you love deal with a disease that is ravaging their body. Or maybe, like Angela, you are stumbling through grief and pain that almost feels unbearable because of the death of someone you love. Perhaps this morning, you find yourself under the crushing weight of a financial hardship that no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get under from. It feels almost inappropriate to have joy in the face of these kinds of circumstances. So how do we find joy in the midst of the grief and suffering that is all around us and has even invaded our own lives? This morning, I want to share with you the good news of the gospel because, friends, there is joy to be found in Jesus. And to show you that, I want us to take a look at a scene from that very first Christmas. It's found in Luke 2, 8 to 11. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Luke 2, 8 to 11 is where we will be. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to download our mobile app and you can access the Bible that way. And as we look at the scene, I want to share with you three truths about joy. The announcement of joy the availability of joy, and the accessibility of joy. The announcement of joy, the availability of joy, and the accessibility of joy. Let's take a look. Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel announces that good news that will cause great joy for all people. And the word good news there is where we get the word gospel from. The gospel is good news. It's not good advice about what you need to do or what you should do to get right with God. It's good news about what God has already done for you. But what exactly is the good news? 
Well, the angel tells us, today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He's not just a teacher or a good moral example to follow. He's not a theologian or a scholar. He is the savior of the world. God doesn't send us a set of instructions on how to live a good life. He sends us his son to save us because we could not save ourselves. He's our savior, but he's also the Messiah. He's the anointed king who ushers in the kind of world that we're longing for. The good news that is announced is that the kingdom of God is here because the king has come. God has broken into the world to fix all that is broken in our world. God sees us. God understands us. And he comes to show us what he is like. This is what the world is longing for. This is what we are longing for. The king has come. Jesus is a savior. Jesus is a Messiah, but he is also Lord. God himself comes to earth. He gives up the majesty and the glory of heaven. He takes on skin and bones, and he becomes one of us. And if you really wanted God to understand what it was like to be you, then he would have to become like you. And that's exactly what God does through the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is undeniable proof of God's love and care for you and for all humanity. Advent reminds us the joy has been announced to us. But secondly, Advent reminds us that joy is available to us. In February of this year, the Gallup organization conducted a happiness survey of Americans. And they found that happiness amongst Americans is at a record all-time low. Americans are not happy. We're coming out of a pandemic. A lot of people are disappointed as to where we are as a country. There's war, conflict all over the world. Midterm elections just took place, and one-third of Americans said, it doesn't really matter who wins because the country is a mess. Americans are not happy. They don't have joy. And as I read that, as I read those survey results, I thought, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because the happiness or the joy that the world offers us is based on circumstances. So when things are going well, we're happy. When our health is good, our relationships are thriving, we get the job that we want or the promotion that we think we deserve, we're happy. It's all based on circumstances. But circumstances change, don't they? With one phone call from the doctor's office, your health can go from good to bad. You can walk into work one morning and be told you're no longer needed. Your job's been terminated. Relationships can become difficult. The joy the world offers is based on circumstances, but the joy that Jesus offers is based on a relationship. A relationship with him. Henry Nouwen writes this, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. The apostle Paul says it like this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the difficult circumstances of life cannot separate us from the love of God. They don't mean that God loves you any less. And over the past few weeks, I have sat across from enough of you to know that so many of you are in a place of grief and sadness because you're in hard situations. And one of the reasons why I am a follower of Jesus, why I find the way of Jesus so compelling is because the Bible is real. The Bible never says, deny your grief, avoid your pain, minimize your sadness, just get over it. Jesus doesn't say that. In fact... On the night that he was betrayed, this last night he has with his disciples, here's what he says. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then three days later, he conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what he is saying to his disciples is this, I will die and you will grieve. But when you see me again, when you put your trust in the risen son of God, you will rejoice and no one can take away your joy. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this joy is available to you. And it's not the kind of joy that the world offers. The joy that the world offers is shallow and empty. The joy that Jesus offers is deep and full. And then Jesus, he offers this brilliant illustration to explain the kind of joy that he invites us into. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now ladies, Jesus isn't mansplaining here. He's the son of God. He can talk about childbirth. (laughs) Some of you in the room or watching online have given birth. Others of us haven't. I've never given birth to a child. So I went to the expert on childbirth in my life. And that's my mother. And I said, mom, tell me about the day that I was born. What was it like? And she said, oh, it was terrible. It was 20 hours of long, excruciating pain. It was so hard. And that makes sense because you are my hardest child. Uh, Side note, that's not true. But I said, Ma, you're missing the point. Tell me what it was like. And she said, it was so hard and it was so painful. But then you were born and the doctor put you in my arms and I saw you for the very first time. And in that moment, it was worth it. I was filled with joy. A woman giving birth to a child is in excruciating pain, but when her baby is born, it's not that the pain goes away, it's that the pain doesn't control her anymore. It doesn't dominate her thoughts because she's filled with joy in seeing and holding her baby. Her pain is still there, but the joy is also there. The joy that the world offers is based on circumstances. So when your circumstances change, you go from joy to sadness. The the joy that the world offers cannot coexist with sadness. You could either have joy or you could have sadness. 
because a sadness just eats up the world's joy. But the joy that Jesus offers is different. If your joy is in God's love for you through Jesus Christ, then even when the grief, even when the sorrow and sadness comes, it only drives you deeper into that joy. Circumstances don't rid you of your joy. Joy keeps the pain and the sadness from dragging you under and from taking you out. Angela Gorell concludes her book by saying that joy is a counter agent to despair because it sustains us even when standing right next to sorrow. Joy is not the denial of grief and pain. Joy is defiant in the face of tragedy and grief and pain because no matter how hard the circumstances of our lives, if you are a follower of Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Joy has come. And this joy is available to you, to every single one of you. The angel announces to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Not for some people, not for the smartest people or the prettiest people, but for all people. In Matthew 1, Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus. And it includes women like Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. And Bathsheba, this woman that King David takes for himself and sleeps with and then murders her husband. It includes women like Ruth, a Moabite, a foreigner. This is a patriarchal society where women are considered to be nothing and completely disregarded. And in the Jewish culture in which Jesus is born into, foreigners are thought to be second-class citizens. And yet in the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God, we see women and foreigners. We see sinners and those who have been sinned against included in the lineage of the Savior of the world. And what God is trying to show us is that this good news is for all of us. There is no one who is too far gone when it comes to the gospel. God is able to take people from all backgrounds and all experiences and weave into their broken story his story of redemption. And no matter who you are or where you've been or what's been done to you, the good news of the gospel is for you. The good news of the gospel is for every single one of us, no matter our age, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, educational level, political affiliation, or whatever, whatever barrier that we try to put up against the gospel, the gospel overcomes it. Joy has come. And this joy is for every one of us. Advent reminds us that joy has been announced to us. Advent reminds us that joy is available to us. And thirdly, Advent reminds us that joy is accessible to us. It's one thing to know that joy has come in the person of Jesus Christ. It's another thing to know that this joy is available to us. But how do we access joy? Henry Nouwen continues like this. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Joy isn't just an emotion or a happy feeling. It's the inner disposition of our hearts. And yet you cannot will yourself to be joyful. But you can choose joy. There are practices that we can implement in our lives so that we can posture ourselves in such a way that we can access this joy, that we can see it and recognize it and embrace it when it's close to us when we, so that we can live alive to the possibility of joy. Let me highlight three of those practices. Here's the first one. 
offer gratitude. Studies have been done, it's been scientifically proven that joy and gratitude are inextricably linked. If you want to be a joyful person, you must be a grateful person. And if you are a grateful person, you will be a joyful person. The practice of gratitude invites the joy of Jesus into our lives. This year, I have been experimenting with this because in my own nature, I'm not a very grateful person. It's far easier for me to tell you all the things that are wrong with my life than to tell you the good things that God is doing. And so I've taken on this really simple practice that has really been profoundly impactful to me. Every morning when I get up, I grab my coffee and I go into my office. And even before I open my Bible to spend time with Jesus, here's what I do. I write down three things that I'm grateful for. And most days they're really simple. A good cup of coffee, because I really love coffee. An encouraging conversation with a friend. Or most recently, it was the beauty of the leaves of the trees changing colors as I took a walk, because that never happens in Texas. <laughs> but as I name these really simple things, it brings joy to my heart, because so often I miss the good gifts that God has given me. Author Tish Harrison Warren says it like this, to choose joy is to see all existence as a gift, which is why the practice of joy is inseparable from the practice of gratitude. Gratitude gives birth to joy because gratitude teaches us to receive life as a gift in the moment we're in, regardless of what lies ahead. Psalm 107 verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. If you want to be a joyful person, you must be a grateful person. But here is the other thing that's really interesting about this. It's not that we just should give thanks. That if we want to be joyful people, we must give thanks, but we also must give thanks in community. Psalm 107 goes on to say, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You and I are the redeemed of the Lord and we have been saved by grace and we must tell the story of God's goodness in our lives. And something happens inside each one of us when we hear stories of God's goodness in the lives of others. We need other people to help us recall and to recognize God's goodness. And when we do that, there is deep joy. And that's why community is so important in the life of a missionary disciple. If you don't have that kind of community, can I encourage you to join a formation group? Formation is our expression of small groups here at IBC. It's just a place where you can connect with other followers of Jesus and pursue life with Jesus together. If you've got questions about that, you wanna sign up, you can go to irvingbible.org formation, or you can go right out into Town Square. Our discipleship pastor, Jared, would love to help answer your questions and get you signed up. If you wanna be a joyful person, you must offer gratitude. Here's a second practice, cultivate delight. To cultivate delight, we must slow down because hurry keeps us from paying attention to what really matters. Joy is found when we slow down and we turn our attention and our affection towards Jesus. And this is why the practice of Sabbath is so vital for us. We spend time with Jesus in scripture and prayer. We slow down and we pay attention to the good gifts that God has given us and the people in our lives. 
We play, whether that's through sports or games or hobbies. We do things that delight us and remind us of the goodness of God in our lives. What are the things or the activities that cause gratitude and love for God to rise up in your hearts? Do those things. One of those things for me is just lingering around a table with good friends over good food and good drink. That brings joy to my heart. Maybe for you it's playing an instrument or organizing a trivia night or gardening. Pay attention to what brings joy to your soul and do those things. Cultivate delight. Here's the third practice. Surrender control. We surrender the illusion of control over to God. Surrender is the ability to live without the need for control over the outcomes of my life. It is yielding my life to God based on a deep trust in his character. And no one shows us what surrender looks like better than Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke 1, we read that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, this unmarried teenage peasant girl, and he tells her that she will give birth to Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And initially, Mary is troubled by the angel's words. She's young, she's overwhelmed, she's frightened. But then here is how she responds. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Surrender is when we can say, let it be to me according to your word. It's when we can say, no matter what happens to me, I'm okay because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve or we're not sad about the circumstances of our lives. It doesn't mean that we deny our pain or even our desires. It means we give our grief, our pain, and our desires over to God and we trust him with it. We recognize that we can't control our lives. We can't control others, so we surrender to God. We make a choice, a decision as much as we can to desire God more than anything else. And this is where joy is found because we know no matter what, we have God and he's the treasure. He's the reward. He's the great love of our lives. We surrender control. Kay Warren defines joy like this. Joy is the deep assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The determined confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right. And the disciplined choice to celebrate the goodness of God in all things. Three practices that we can implement in our lives to choose joy. Offer gratitude, cultivate delight, and surrender control. Advent reminds us that joy has been announced to us. The birth of Jesus Christ was good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's not good advice. It's good news that transforms our lives. Jesus is our Savior who came to save us from our sins. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed King who ushers in the kind of world that we're longing for. And Jesus is Lord. God himself enters into time and space. He enters into our broken world to fix all that is broken in our world. God sees us. God understands us. And he comes to show us what he is like. Advent, announced, Advent reminds us that joy has been announced. But secondly, Advent reminds us that joy is available to us. The joy that the world offers us is based on circumstances. But the joy that Jesus offers us 
is based on a relationship with him. And if your joy is in God's love for you in Jesus, then when grief and sorrow and sadness comes, it only drives you deeper into your joy. Circumstances cannot rid you of your joy. Joy keeps the pain and the sadness from dragging you under and from taking you out. Joy is defiant in the face of tragedy and grief and suffering because no matter what, if you are a follower of Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And this is good news that will cause great joy for all people. No matter who you are or where you've been or, or what you've done or what's been done for you, to you, this is good news of great joy, and it's available to you. Advent reminds us that joy has been announced to us. Advent reminds us that joy is available to us. And Advent reminds us that joy is accessible to us. Because joy doesn't just happen to us. We must choose joy. We must posture ourselves in such a way where we can access this joy by Offering gratitude, cultivating delight, and surrendering control. Friends, I do not preach to you out of my strength. I preach to you out of my struggle because in my struggle, God shows himself strong. And like many of you, I find myself in a place of grief and sadness. But what I have experienced even in the season is unspeakable joy. Because here's what I know, here's what I'm sure of. No one and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not death or depression, not cancer or dementia, not unemployment or divorce, not loneliness or addiction. No one and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Our joy is in Jesus and no one can take our joy from us. In his first advent, our king came to die on a cross. In his second advent, our king will come again to rule and reign on his throne. And on that day, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He will make all things new. Our king has come. Our king will come again. Friends, joy has come. And his name is Jesus. Before we partake of communion, would you pray with me? Father, thank you that through the birth of Jesus Christ, joy has been announced to us, and this joy is available to us in Jesus. And thank you that even in the difficult circumstances, no one and nothing can take this joy from us. Help us to access this joy by offering gratitude, cultivating delight, and surrendering control of our lives over to you. And if there's anyone here this morning watching online who's never experienced the joy that is available to them in Jesus, would this be that moment where they put their trust in Jesus as their Savior? Might they experience everlasting joy found only in Jesus? And for those here that are in the midst of grief and sorrow, I ask that you would meet them as only you can, that you would remind them that you are the God who is with them and that no matter what, no matter the circumstances of our lives, nothing can separate them from the love of Jesus. And now as we are about to partake of communion together, we thank you for the love that you have shown us through the gift of your son, Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. 
For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.